good morning, Frontline family. It's uh, so good to be with you this morning. A big welcome to everyone joining us in the house, as well as those joining us online, and a special welcome to those visiting us for the first time today. Church, we gather for one purpose this morning, and that is to magnify and glorify the name of our King Jesus and to grow in the knowledge of who He is. It's all about Him, and just as we've so passionately worshipped Him in song today, let's continue to worship Him with the same attitude as we study His life-changing and eternal Word. Amen? Amen. Church, are you ready for the Word this morning? Let's pray together as we prepare our hearts for this time together. Father, we come to you in the glorious and wonderful name of Jesus this morning. And Lord, we thank you that we can gather as your church to worship you and to grow in your saving knowledge. Lord, we know that by your divine power, you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. So as we study your word today, may we grow in our understanding, firstly, of who you are, and secondly, in what you've accomplished in and through our lives for your glory. And as we have a look at these passages today that speak of heaven, may we be reminded of your sovereignty, your majesty, and your mercy, which are beautifully displayed in these sacred texts. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be our guide and teacher today, opening our minds and hearts to understand the eternal significance of the Word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Church, this morning we find ourselves again in our series, Revealing Jesus. And as you would recall, the last time that we were in this series, we had a glimpse of heaven. We had a glimpse of heaven as we started to unpack the account of the Apostle John as he is caught up in the throne room of heaven and where he sees the one seated on the throne and where he begins to record the incredible and magnificent things that are present there and going on there. He sees the glory of the Lord God Almighty seated on the throne. He sees these four living creatures that never cease to say, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, he sees the 24 elders that are seated around the throne fall down before the Lord. They worship him and they cast their crowns, receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Church, these are some of the greatest verses in the Bible that speak about the glory of our magnificent God and how He will be worshipped and honored in His heavenly kingdom. And just by way of recap to refresh your memory, when we speak about heaven, number one, heaven is a real place. Amen? Heaven is a real place and it is a place that we will all experience one day as believers in Jesus Christ. Whether we pass in this life or we are raptured to meet the Lord in the air, that's where we're going to end up. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. That's how you get to heaven. In my Father's house are many rooms. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. As we discovered last time, the word heaven or heavens plural is mentioned over 700 times in the Bible, which clearly shows us that it's a massively important topic, that it's real, and as a Christian, that's your future home. Amen? That's the first thing. Number two, the central focus of heaven is God Almighty Himself. Even though you'll be in heaven if you trust Christ, if He's your Lord, it's not just about you being in heaven. It's not just about all the people that you are going to be reunited with in heaven. Or all the spectacular things that you are going to see and experience there. Yes, it is those things, but the real big main attraction and central focus of heaven is going to be God. Number three, heaven's ultimate delight will be unbroken fellowship with God. Revelation chapter 21 verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. You know, while we're still on this earth, the Bible says that we live by faith, not by sight, but not so in heaven. Because in heaven you'll live by sight, not by faith. You'll hear, you'll look, you'll see, and it will be a face-to-face experience. And church, I don't know about you, but that really excites me and inspires me to live differently in this life. Number four, heaven will display the magnificence and glory of God. And when I say that, I mean fully display the magnificence and glory of God 100% uncut, unedited in a way that will take our breath away, in a way that is personal and intimate for us to experience. And church, that's where we left off last time. Now this morning, before we move into chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, which speaks of the Lamb of God, and while we're still on the theme of heaven, there is something that I want us all to be aware of at this point in our series. There's a question that I want to pose to you this morning. It's a question that I asked myself over and over this week. And that question is, are you living with a heavenly mindset? I was planning to continue going verse by verse this week, but in my preparation, I felt led for us to just pause for a moment and reflect on what it really means to live with a heavenly mindset. Because that sounds quite glorious. You know, we say we should set our our mind on things above, but, but what does it actually mean? You know, as we're going through these passages about heaven in the book of Revelation, And even other parts of the Bible that speak about heaven and our eternity, we might think and say, does it really matter what we know about heaven? Some of us might think to ourselves, I'm living on this earth now, so I'd rather just focus on what's going on around me, and I'll enjoy heaven when I get there. And yes, of course, heaven is something that we are definitely going to enjoy one day. Make no doubt about that. But the truth is, what we know about heaven and who will be there, and the rewards we will receive when we get there, if we are faithful in this life, the knowledge thereof 
should cause us to focus on living a devout and full Christian life now. Because, church, let me tell you something. Satan doesn't want us to think about heaven. Why? Because he hates the fact that he got kicked out of heaven and ever since has been really frustrated and angry and as a result has declared war and a negative PR campaign on what the kingdom of God is actually like. C.S. Lewis said that Satan's ultimate goal is to keep us blind to the reality of heaven and the glory of God. He will use every trick and deception to distract us from our true purpose. Because what is our true purpose in life? To get to heaven so that we can be in the presence of God, worship Him, and experience, it, uh, experience life in its fullness forever and ever. Right? That's what Jesus died for. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, the enemy's greatest weapon is to divert our attention away from the eternal and focus on the temple. He wants us to forget the knowledge of heaven and become entangled in the affairs of this world. Now, churches, as most of us already know, the Bible contains many different passages and teachings that address how our actions and choices in this life will affect our life in heaven and our eternal destiny. And that's why your enemy, the devil, would prefer to keep you entangled in the unfruitful affairs of this world. And so a question, why is it so important to live with the heavenly mindset? Let me show you another quote from C.S. Lewis, and then we'll start to, to answer that question. In his book, Mere Christianity, Lewis said, If you read history... You will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot in the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Lewis also said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. It's a powerful statement that, right? You know, church, let me say something this morning. Life is all about perspective. Tell the person next to you, life is all about perspective. What do I mean by that? Let me give an example. If I go to a wedding, and I'm actually going to two weddings over the next few weeks, but let's say I go to those weddings, and at the reception, there's this full buffet of food with three starters, six different main meals, and on top of that, there's ten different desserts for me to choose from. What's going to happen if I go there with a one-day perspective? I'm going to try every one of those starters, every one of those main meals and desserts, right? But if I go there with a 60-day perspective, I'm probably only going to try one of each. Why? Because I don't want the upset stomach tomorrow. I don't want the extra couple of kgs of fat on my body next week. And I don't want to compromise my long-term health. And here's the point. When you have a heavenly perspective... 
And when you live with a heavenly mindset, you live differently. Because you see, most of us, and we can all fall into this trap, but most of us only have a 70 or 80 year perspective. In fact, the Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 90 that the years of our life are 70, which is three score and 10, or even by reason of strength, 80, which is four score. And so most of us use that as our benchmark, as our perspective. But actually, church, even if you live to 122 years old, which is the oldest person officially recorded in modern times, this life is but a vapor or a breath in terms of eternity. James chapter 4 verse 14, it says, for what is your life? Ask the person next to you, for what is your life? Tell them it is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So church, when you live with a heavenly mindset, what happens is you plan differently, right? You act differently, you speak differently, and you will endure what you wouldn't normally endure. Why? Because you know what you do now will affect your future in eternity. And just to be clear this morning, this is not about works, right? It's about obedience and faithfulness. It's God's grace that brings repentance, and, and it's our obedience and faithfulness that brings reward. It's not about works because the price has already been paid by Jesus. But what I find very interesting and also challenging is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He's speaking about the assurance of the resurrection and our heavenly home that we will receive one day as believers. And he says this from verse 6. He says, so we are always confident, not some of the time, but always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Who's he speaking to here? He's speaking to believers, right? Because if you're an unbeliever, when you're absent from the body, you're not going to be in the presence of the Lord. And look at what he goes on to say. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Did you get that, church? We make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. For connective reason, we must all appear. <laughs> That's good, eh? <laughs> For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You know what a lot of believers around the world do not fully understand is that one day, every single one of us is going to stand before Jesus Christ as our judge. You may say, but pastor, did you have to put a dampener on the whole day by saying something like that? Because Jesus Christ is my Savior, isn't he? Well, yes, he is, church, but he's also your judge. He's a righteous judge. And let me share some truth with you this morning. You can never do a thing to make God love you any more or any less than he does right now. But you are in charge of how pleased he is with you. And as Paul says, you will be judged according to what you've done, whether good or bad. 
But just to settle your nerves this morning before we carry on, you need to know that you will not be judged for your repented sins. Why? Because of the finished work of the cross. Thank the Lord for that, right? Amen. Amen. Rather, you will be judged on how you live this life as a believer. Now, church, there is, a, there is a bit of a problem when it comes to the word judgment, isn't there? Because when we hear the word judge or judgment, where do our minds immediately go? It goes to condemnation. But do you know what the word judgment actually means? It is the, the Greek word krima, and it means to make a decision based on an evaluation or an investigation. So when you hear the word judgment, don't immediately go to condemnation. Go to a decision. Because what it means is that Jesus is going to do an investigation upon our lives as Christians and then make his decision. Amen? Have a look with me at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. He says, So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of the time, before the Lord returns. For He will bring our darkest secrets to light and He will reveal our private motives. Did you get that, church? When we are judging people on this earth, don't forget that when it comes to that time, that day, all the hidden things that nobody knows about is going to be brought to the light and it will be exposed. For He will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. So Jesus is going to examine how we live our lives, our words, our thoughts, our motives, those hidden things of the heart. He's going to examine them, and as a result of this investigation, he's going to make decisions. And as a result of those decisions, we're either going to receive rewards or we're going to suffer loss. And church, do you know what, the, what Hebrews chapter 6 tells us? It tells us that the judgments that Jesus makes at the judgment seat are called eternal judgments or eternal decisions. And what that shows us is that there will never be any changes to those decisions. They will never be amended or revised. They will forever remain in effect. Why? Because they're eternal judgments. Let me put it to you this way. The way we live our lives, right, determines how we spend eternity in two different ways. Number one, what we do with the cross determines where we're going to spend eternity, either in heaven or in hell. However, number two, the way we live as believers determines how we're going to spend it. It's a bit of a sobering thought that, right? I don't know if you've noticed this as you've been reading your Bible, but a lot of the time when God speaks about our life in regard to eternity, He calls us builders. Has anyone noticed that? Let me give you a few examples. In Psalm 127 verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Psalm 118 verse 2 says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Here's another one. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ, for the building up of the church. And here's the thing. We are going to be judged according to how we build. Number one, how we build the kingdom of God. And number two, how we build our individual. Paul, in dealing with the church at Corinth, at one point had to speak to the church about living and building with a, a heavenly mindset. He says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone, that's you and me, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. And when it refers to the day there, that refers to the time of the judgment seat of Christ. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss or great loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. That's pretty clear, right? What Paul is saying here, church, is you can build for the temporary or you can build for the eternal. Or let me put it to you another way. You can use your gifts for temple purposes or you can use them for eternal purposes. The choice is yours. The choice is ours. Let me give you a real life example of what I'm referring to here. Someone like Michael Jackson. We all know Michael Jackson, right? Most of us. Someone like Michael Jackson had a tremendous musical gift. Probably one of the best that pop music has ever seen and will ever see. And he could have used that gift to lead millions into the presence of God or at least to know who God is. Right? But he used it for other purposes and his gift came to nothing. Are you with me, church? Let me give you another example. If you want to be on our worship team, right? If you want to be on our worship team because you want people to see you, and hear how well you sing and how well you play an instrument. Every practice that you've gone to, every service that you've gotten up early for, every song that you've memorized will all be burned up right before your eyes because it's wood, hay, and straw. But if you want to be on this worship team because you want to lead people into the presence of Jesus and represent Him in your own life, you are going to be greatly rewarded. Amen? And the same goes for every ministry within the church. The same goes for my ministry. If we are not doing it for the right, if we are doing it for the wrong motives, it's going to be burned up. Because you see, motives count and nothing will escape the judgment seat of Christ. 
Now, I know that some of you are thinking, but, but hang on, Pastor. We don't do stuff for the Lord to receive rewards now, do we? That doesn't sound right. I thought about that question this week, and, and off the bat, I would agree with the sentiment because we'd be doing it for, with the wrong motives if we were just doing it for rewards. But I thought to myself, why then does Paul say, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward? Why does he say, therefore, we will make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him? And come to think of it, why does Paul say that we should all run our race well? Because get this, church, if we were just about being saved and, and nothing else until we get to heaven, right? Then why aren't we just taken up immediately when we give our hearts to Jesus Christ? Right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body, which means I beat my body into submission and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Just touch the person next to you on their shoulder and tell them, do not run aimlessly. Do not run aimlessly. Quick question for you this morning. Who came to the, the fun run or the fun walk yesterday? That's quite a few of you, right? Now, if you came here yesterday and you decided to choose another route, not the one set for the day, would you have finished the race? Right? If you decided to run in the opposite direction and you just kept on running and running until the sun went down and eventually fell over and collapsed, they would have dragged you home, right? They would have carried you home. But you wouldn't be able to say that you finished the race. Why? Because you ran aimlessly. You didn't run so that you would obtain the prize. You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you see the difference there between our works and those that have been created in Christ Jesus, which are good works? For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know what that tells us, church? That tells us that we are created by Christ to do something. That tells us that we have a purpose to fulfill in this life. Amen? Because get this, not only were you created in Christ Jesus to be a child of God, but you were also, by that same grace, empowered to do something. Every one of us that is saved through faith and received into the kingdom of God has a calling that was prepared beforehand to walk in. And you know what that means, church? I'm not the only one called to do something for God. It's not just me and Pastor Renell and the elders and leaders of our church. It's not just all the spiritual leaders that you follow online. This description includes you. Amen, somebody. Amen. 
You have something to bring to the body of Christ. Please tell the person next to you, you, my friend, have something to bring to the body of Christ. But did you notice what it says there in verse 10 of the passage we just read? It says, For we are His workmanship, creating in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, church, there's, there's a big difference between the word should and, and would and could, isn't there? What's that saying? Could have, would have, should have, which really means you haven't. Right? And that's really the crux of it. And that's why we have to, in our Christians li- in Christian lives, we have to move from procrastination to destination. That's why we have to move from living with a temporal mindset to living with a heavenly one. Why? Because we all have a purpose and calling to fulfill. And how we live at that calling now will determine our final reward. Now, not everyone is called to do the same thing, right? Not everyone is called to preach, right? Not everyone is called to evangelize or to plant churches. Every part of the body is just as important to God. But what is very clear in the Bible is that we will be held to account for what we've done with what we've been given. Can I say that again? We will be held to account for what we've done with what we've been given. And church, that's really what I wanted to draw your attention to this morning. Life is about perspective. And we are either living with a 70 or 80 year perspective or we are living with a heavenly perspective. And like C.S. Lewis said, you will find that the Christians back then and the Christians now who do the most for the present world are precisely those who think most of the next. And my prayer is that as we bring that in focus this morning, our perspective would change too. Church, I know that I've given you a lot of info to absorb today and a lot to think about. So as we wrap up today's message, I want to leave you with a few key takeaways that I hope will resonate in your hearts and minds, not only today, but into your future. Over the past couple of weeks, we've explored the significance of heaven, the central focus of God Almighty, the promise of unbroken fellowship with Him, and how heaven will reveal the magnificence and glory of our Creator. However, as we ponder these heavenly truths, we must ask ourselves a crucial question. Are we living with a heavenly mindset? Are we building our lives in God's kingdom with an eternal perspective in mind? It's easy to become entangled in the distractions and pursuits of this world. But we must remember that our ultimate purpose and destiny is to dwell in God's presence, worship Him, and experience eternal life in its fullness. Our enemy, the devil, seeks to divert our attention away from the reality of heaven and the glory of God. He wants us entangled in the affairs of this world, forgetting our true purpose. But let us not be deceived. Living with a heavenly mindset doesn't mean earning our way to heaven through works. Rather, it means living in the obedience and faithfulness of walking out and fulfilling the unique calling and purpose that God has placed upon 
each of our lives. Church, the judgment seat of Christ awaits us, not as a place of condemnation, but as a place of decision, where our lives will be evaluated. What we do with the gifts, the talents, the callings, and the opportunities that God has given us matters. When we have a heavenly mindset, it changes the way we build our lives and contribute to building God's kingdom. Our focus shifts from the temporal to the eternal, and our choices reflect this transformation. So as you leave this place today, and as you go about your business this week, I encourage you to, to reflect on your own life and sincerely ask yourself the question, am I living with a heavenly mindset? Am I building my life in God's kingdom with an eternal perspective? Remember, we are all part of God's grand design, and each of us has a unique role to play. Let us aim to live in a way that brings glory to God and eagerly anticipate the day when we stand before Him, hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little, I'm going to put you in charge of much. Come and share your master's happiness. Church, may the Lord bless you and empower you to live with a heavenly mindset in all that you do. Amen. Let's give God glory for His word this morning.